Hello, I'm Father Fred Caldwell, a Catholic priest in McKinney, Texas. And my name is George. I've been studying the Bible and religion all my life. Together, we'll be taking a new and often unexpected look at all things spiritual. And our podcast is named Soul Survivors. Hello, this is George, and I'm here with Father Fred. And today we're going to be covering the second part of the two creation stories. In the first part, we talked about how the creation story was from the northern kingdom. God was impersonal. Everything was very orderly. God created the world in in seven days. And the writer went day by day. Day one, he did this. Day two, he did this and so forth. And we discussed how the days were not literal days. That seven just meant perfection. And we are going to talk about the Southern Kingdom's story on creation. And in this episode, we're going to see that the word used is Yahweh. I keep saying Yahweh, it's perhaps Yahweh. Uh, Yahweh, where Yahweh means I am that I am. In Exodus 3.14, when Moses asks God who he is, he says, I am who I am. So Father Fred, let's continue on with the uh, second creation story. Okay. And George, I think it's always a good idea to go back and and refresh their minds about uh, the Yahweh and about and about God. And we found those. If you have your Bible, get your Bible. And uh, and it's a good idea also to have a, a pencil and a piece of paper to write down any scriptures. And you're going to read right along with me. We're not going to read. We're not going to study this as sometimes many people do. We're not going to come in with our mind made up or with somebody else's already has agenda, we're going to read it just to see what it says. Maybe we like what it says, maybe we don't like what it says, but we're going to be, read it for what it says. Uh, and just to refresh your memory the, of the two different uh, versions, one from the north and one from the south, it, we, uh, we read in chapter 7, and you might go to chapter 7 in your Bible if you have it there, and it's just the first couple of verses. We read, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for you alone in this generation have I found to be righteous before me. Now here's the interesting part. Of every clean animal, take with you seven pairs, a male and its mate. And of the unclean animals, take one pair, a male and its mate. Now, I had never heard that before. All I had ever heard was just two. So this caught my attention. Uh, and I noticed when it was when it was 14, there was another thing that changed. It was not God any longer. Now it's Lord. And this in these uh, these clean animals, you don't even find out what a clean animal is until you get to Leviticus, because uh, I'm, I was reading along, and here we got clean animals, and and nobody told me what a clean animal was. So we have, when we have Lord, we have 14 of some animals. But then if we look at chapter 6, which is just right before that, it says this. It says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Equip the ark with various compartments and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall build it. The length of the ark will be 300 cubits. Make an opening for daylight and finish the ark a cubit above it. Put the ark's interest on its entrance on its side. You will make it with bottom, second, and third decks. This one has 
the supreme being has God. And it tells that when we have God, we have very much details. We have every little step on how to make that ark. Back in chapter one, we had that God story and it was very detailed. It had first day, second day, third day, fourth day, and so on. So we had some that they're going to say, God, 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 and some that are going to say, Lord, Lord, Lord. The, the Lord are the Yahweh, sometimes Yahweh, sometimes Lord. They are used in the southern part. And we'll, we'll, we'll let you know more about how we know that there's from the north or from the south. We'll get to that later. We just finished Genesis 1, and it had God, God, God all the way through. And it had something that we noticed. The earth was covered with water. So uh, we're going to see something entirely different when we get onto Genesis 2. So I'm going to go ahead with that now. Now, one, one thought thing that I thought was strange was the first six days are in chapter 1. Why did they put the seventh day in chapter 2? Something else is in the beginning when they were writing, when, when they wrote this was first written down, there were no commas, never no periods. It was just one complete solid, solid thing. And, and then in the 18th century, there was an archbishop in England that decided they needed some way to be able to find out where these different points were. So he divided them into chapters and he divided them into verses. Now, why he decided to put in chapter two, the seventh day, rather than back there with the first six, I don't know, but maybe there's a clue. Uh, then uh, we'll just start reading in, in chapter 2. If you got your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2. And the, uh, this verse 1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all their array were completed. He's got, the, got everything made now on seven days. On the seventh day, God completed the work he had been doing. He rested on the seventh day from all of the work that he had undertaken. Now, maybe this this seventh day is in a different place because it has a different tone to it. The first six days, he's telling them, I did this, I did this, I did this, and he's in charge of everything. But now it looks like he's becoming a closer, closer to what a human would be. He's worked, and now he's got to rest. You don't picture God as having to rest, or, or I didn't anyway. It might be because we're going from the God, 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 which is a distant God, we're coming to a, a, a Yahweh now, which is a closer friend to the, uh, for God. So maybe this is just easing us into it because God is having to rest. And that's not what you think of as an all-powerful God. On the verse 3, says, God blessed that seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Now, you don't figure God's going to be tired. All the work he did anyway was just used to speak the words. But this this person is making him a little more uh, like a human, a little more close than it had been back there in chapter 1, even though it still uses God. Then here comes the second version. And the second version is entitled, The Story of the Nations or The Garden of Eden. And it starts out this way. This is the story of the heavens and the earth at their creation. The second half of verse 4 is what I want you to pay attention to. It said, 
when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. That is exactly the same way that uh, that chapter one began. The only difference was it said when the Lord God, when Yahweh had made the heavens and the earth, they just switched earth and heavens. But it's that's the way they began their stories. There's something else that has come in for the first time. So far, we've just been talking about two participants, one from the south and one from the north, and those are the writings. But those writings didn't just come together by themselves. Those writings had to be put together by an editor or a redactor, whichever one you want to call it. And number four has the first instance of what that redactor has put in to tie these two stories together. He wrote this in. This is the story of the heavens and the earth at their creation. That was not part of the original story. The original story started out when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, just like it started in chapter one. This is the first time we've seen the participation of a third person. And, and how do you know that that's a third person that put that in there? Okay, because uh, and, and as, as we read in other places, we're gonna have the same thing and we're gonna see where he inserted something, where something was inserted to make it tie in with the verse from it, in front of it, from the verse behind it. The main thing we could look at, though, is the way the story is told for storytellers. They started their stories this way. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. That's the way they start their stories. If you look at chapter one, you'll find the very first line says, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. That's the way they start their stories. This story originally started when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, just like it started in chapter one and in other places in the Bible in the beginning, just like what you were found, what George, where it says in the first chapter of John, in the beginning was the word. They start out with their stories in the beginning. So this has been inserted. This is the story of the heavens and the earth at their creation. Then we have really the start of the story. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, one thing that you notice, it's no longer God, God. It's no longer uh, a God that is off someplace. This God, this God is going to be close. There was no field shrub on earth and no grass of the field had sprouted for the Lord God had sent no rain upon the earth and there was no man to till the ground. Now, there's a couple, of, a couple of things there that ought to get our attention. What does it mean there was no shrub on earth? Back in chapter one, he and cre God created these plants, all of them, and no grass in the field. He had, already, he had already created these things. The Lord God sent no rain upon the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. What do you mean no man? Back in chapter one, he made man and woman at the same time. Why is it now there's nothing growing because everything is dry. If we look at where the, the Lord God comes from, the southern kingdom, we have the dry part of Israel. We have the Negev Desert. It covered just about everything of Judah and, and, and of uh, Benjamin, which were the, the places in the south, the two tribes of the south. And we'll, we'll explain later what the tribes are and how they got to be there. But it's all dry. I went in 1998. I went to to uh, the Holy Land, and some of us, I was but young back then, some of us younger people, we decided we were going to walk some from, from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
we knew that we could catch the bus down the road just a short ways. But as we walked, the ground was, it was the most barren place. There was not a, not a sprig of grass, not a lizard, nothing. Made West Texas look like an oasis. And this is where the Southern Kingdom is. That's one more clue that we have. Back in chapter one, you remember, the earth was not dry. The earth was covered with water. Where is the water in Israel? It's in the north. There is the Sea of Galilee. There is the Jordan River. In the south, all you've got of any body of water is the Dead Sea. And you can't have any, anything grow or, or any use for that water. So in the south, this is where we are. There's been no rain. They can't even have a plant. But here's how they're going to get their water. They get it a different way. In chapter 1, we started with the water and brought up the dry land. Now we're starting with the dry land, and we're going to have to bring up some water. So verse 6 says, But a stream was welling up out of the earth and watering all the surface of the ground. This water that came up, it was, it was covering every place. All the surface, all of it, all the surface of the ground. Then the Lord ground, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Now, this is going to be a God that's close to his people. In, in chapter 1, he just said the word and God, man and woman were made. But here, he's using his hands. He's getting dust out of the ground. And to get him to, lie, to live, he's going to blow into his nostrils the bread of life. And the man became a living being. Now, here we have God that is so close to us, a God that uses his hands. We're the clay that he uses to make us. And then the breath that we have comes directly from him right into our mouths, right into our spirits. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. This is verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and placed the man there whom he had formed. Now, if you wrote down, down in chapter 1 what I was telling you, if you had this, you, you would write down, first of all, God created plants. Secondly, he created the animals. Third, he created man and woman at the same time. Now we're in chapter 2. He's creating, first of all, man. Out of the ground, the Lord God made grow every tree. This is verse 9. Every tree that was delightful to look at and good for food, with the tree of life in the middle of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and even, good and evil. Now he's making the plants. First he makes the man, second he makes the plants. Keep those in mind. Number 10 repeats what we had back there in 8. A river rises in Eden to water the garden. Beyond there it divides and becomes Four branches. Why four branches? Because God is in control of the four corners of the earth. He's in control of the four branches of this river. Every time there's four, it's what God is in control of. The name of the first one is Pishon. It is the one that winds through the whole valley of Havilah, where there is gold. And here we just, now, we have changed from where God was in charge, all it was was given details. There was no story. Now we're getting a story 
And God is not only going to tell us about the story, God is going to be participating. He's going to walk with the people. He's going to talk with the people. He's going to talk with snakes. He's, he's, uh, he, he is, has become personal. That's what Yahweh is about. That, what, that river is running and says, it goes through the, the gold of the land that is good. Bedellium and Lapis Asuli are also there. The name of the second river was the Gihon, and it is the one that winds all through the land of Cush. The name of the third river, and finally we're going to get one that we can recognize, the name of the third river is the Tigris. It's the one that flows east out of Asher, and if you look at Asher on that map of Jerusalem, you're going to see it's right up there at the very top on the east side. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and settled him in the Garden of Eden, Eden to cultivate and to care for it. The Lord God gave the man this order. You are free to eat from any of the trees of the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why would God not want us to know what's good and what's evil? Maybe it's like as your little child, you, uh, you just want to please your daddy and you don't even have to worry about it. You're innocent and you don't even worry about what's good or bad. You just try to, you just want to please him. So you're going to do things that are good. But he tells him from that tree, you shall not eat. When you eat from it, you shall die. And the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suited to him. Oh, that should make the guy happy, you know. But what kind of help make, does God make for him? So the Lord God found, formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called them, called each living creature, that was his name. Now, that is the reason that Jews cannot call God by God's name. When they write it, they won't even put in the vowels. They'll just have Y-H-W-H. God is so holy to them, they cannot even say his name. The man gave names to all of the, all the tame animals and all the birds of the air and all the wild animals. Now, this next line is kind of, it doesn't make God look real smart. None proved to be a help, helper suited to the man. Did God think that man was going to have as his mate a cow? or a horse. You'd think God would know better than that, wouldn't you? So the Lord God cast a deep sleep on the man, and while he was asleep, he took out one of his ribs, and he closed up its place with flesh. See how, how God is involved in this. He's not just speaking a word and it happens. He's taken a rib out of that man, and he's closed up that flesh. And then the Lord God built the rib that he had taken from the man into a woman when he brought her to the man. Now, if you remember back in chapter one, he made man and woman at the same time. Now, this is not something that is contradictory. This is not something that anybody is trying to disprove a Bible. This is trying to prove the Bible. Why would God make these mistakes? So we don't ask, why did God do this? We ask, why did this man in the north write it one way? And why did this man in the south write it another way? Finally, the man said, this one at last is bone of my bones. He could have said rib of my ribs and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman 
For out of the man, this one has been taken. Now you notice, he didn't take it from a toe. He didn't take it from a heel. A woman walks equal with a man. He took it from his rib. And that's why a man leaves his, fa leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and the two of them become one. The man and his wife were both naked, yet they felt no shame. They didn't feel any shame because they didn't know right from wrong. They didn't know that there was good and evil. They were like an innocent little child. Okay, what are we going to get from chapters 1 and chapters 2? We're talking about them academically. What do they mean to us spiritually? I've already talked about chapter 1. Chapter 1 is about what God creates is good. And what God has created here is the person that's listening to this podcast. God has made each one of us, and he steps back and he says, you're good. Remember that when you have feel when you feel low. The second one, I think, is more like contrasting with the first one. How do I see God in my life? Do I see God as a rule giver that sits up there and says, do this, do this, do this? Or do I see God that walks with me, talks with me, shows me his love, and and cares for me. In our church, we have, uh, sometimes we get pretty legalistic. I know when I was little, I came to church because I was afraid if I didn't, and I didn't go to confession, and I died, I would go to hell. Now, if that's the only way that'll get you to church, I guess that's better than nothing. But when we study this about God, when we fall in love with God, when we believe that Yahweh walks with us, and talks with us, and loves us, and cares for us, We'll be in church, not because of a law. We'll be in church because we love Jesus and we love one another. That's interesting. I never thought of it that way. So we can either have a relationship with God where he's authoritative, tells us what to do, and we obey it like the northern kingdom. Or we can have a personal relationship with God where we look at him as our heavenly father. He cares for us. He loves us. And he walks alongside of us and has a personal intervention in our lives. Personal relationship, yeah. Well, that, that's interesting. I never put those two thoughts together, the, the, how the Northern Kingdom and Southern Kingdom viewed God differently and how we can view God differently. I think also, George, it depends on what our childhood was like. If we had a father that was very demanding and maybe ne never told us that he loved us, and we didn't see any just real affection and, and our own father. If we didn't see that in infection in that uh, in our lives with our father that that really love and trust, if we didn't see that in him, it's going to be more difficult for us to see it in another God that's our father. But our father God is so much greater with his love than our human father right here. So much greater that we cannot even imagine. Let's just let the Lord live in our lives and invite him to be in every step that we take, knowing that as our loving Yahweh, that's what he wants for us. So, Father Fred, if people would like to attend Mass, where can they go? I know there's a bunch of Catholic churches, but if they want to see you in person, where could they go? Well, I have a Bible study that's going to be, we, we wanted to meet about 945, but the parking was so terrible we couldn't get in some of them so we're going to move it up to about 9:15 here at st michael's 
the every fourth Sunday, I celebrate the 1130 Mass. So if you come to the Bible study uh, and you would like, uh, you can come on into the Mass. And in the, in the Bible study, we study what the scriptures are going to be about so that when we go there, when we get there, we already know more than, than most of the people that, that haven't been to the Bible study that have read it. And y'all review what's going to be covered in Mass, the readings that are going to be covered in Mass. Is that correct? We read them, and we do more than just read them. We analyze them. We find out why did the writer write it this way. And if we can remember to ask that question, why did the writer write it this way, we won't have problems with scriptures that say things like, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If you're going to be my disciple, you've got to hate your mother and hate your father. Those are in the scriptures. But I don't believe Jesus ever said any of those. I think the writer had decided that that's, maybe he had a bad pizza that day before. He's writing the way he feels. Okay. So would you mind giving us the address, the time and location of the Bible study and the location of the Mass? Okay. The Bible study, if you get here by 915, you'll find parking places uh, here at St. Michael's. And the address is 562 Redbud Boulevard. And everybody's welcome. Makes no difference if you're a Catholic or non-Catholic. Makes no difference if you're a believer or a non-believer. If you just want to sit down and see what the Bible says, I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, and the Bible study meets in the Drake building? In the Drake building, which is a little classroom right behind uh, the church. At 9.15 Sunday mornings. 9.15. And you personally conduct the Mass every fourth Sunday at St. Michael's? At 11.30. I, I, will have the, I will celebrate, and we celebrate. You might come and celebrate if you like if you really like to celebrate. I want to give y'all a hint. Father Fred is known as the dancing father or also sometimes the singing father. And I won't go into too much uh, details, but he's been known to, to sing and dance during, during Mass. All right, Father Fred, thank you very much for your time today. God bless.